This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Real Madrid win the Super Cup with relative ease against Eintracht Frankfurt. Archie was there, so we'll tell us what happened before he adds the Bundesliga preview we didn't do on Tuesday. The Premier League is set to introduce mandatory sexual consent training for all players and staff. We'll discuss that before looking at the weekend's games. Can't stop buying players. Chelsea take on top of the table. Yes, I know, vomiting from the bleep test spurs. Crisis-ridden Manchester United go to Brentford. It's Gerrard versus Lampard. Can group captain Scott Parker stop Erling Braut Haaland? There's kit news as all of new castles clash with Brighton while Leeds lose theirs in the sea. Has the Carabao Cup lost its magic? Not even the championship are taking it seriously now. It starts when it wants. The World Cup, it starts when it wants. There's Ismail Assar from the halfway line and the end of the classified football results read today by James Alexander Gordon. This is the Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Archie Wintut, welcome. Hey, Max. Hello, Jordan Jarrett Bryan. Hello, mate. Um, I'm doing a lot better than you. You look a lot better than you probably should, considering what we just heard off air. Yeah, it's been a long journey uh, to my new homeland, um, but I don't need to bore anybody <laughs> about it. But I'm like a, I am like a husk. Um, Lucy Ward, hello. Morning, Max. And hello, Barry Glenn Denning. Matthew says, can Barry please talk a little more this time? I miss him, even though I know he's in the Zoom room off the back of the Europod. Um, yeah, well, were all my stellar contributions cut out by producer Joel on Tuesday? Well, you say all, all of yours or both of yours? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. Anyway, we'll find out today, won't we? Let's start uh, with the European Super Cup. Real Madrid 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 0. It was quite a nice run around for Real Madrid. Took a little while to get going. And then that was it. Archie, you were there. Did you have a nice time? I did. It's, it's, it's really nice weather in Helsinki. Like it's just a few degrees shorter of, of where it is in Germany right now, and that that's that's one of the aspects I enjoyed the most. The stadium's wooden as well, which is a bit you know, as as, as a Craven Cottage fan, some I'm, I was always going to appreciate that. And the game as well, I think. Look, there's definitely a difference in class between Real Madrid and Eintracht Frankfurt. I don't think Eintracht Frankfurt actually played that badly compared to the fact that they lost six one on Friday night against Bayern. I can tell you, having been there as well, it was a big improvement on that. But for me, seeing Real Madrid live, it, it's not something I've, I've seen too much of recently. And it really hammered home just the quality of some of these players to me, particularly someone like Eda Militao, who I'd not seen in the flesh before, who is chasing attackers out of his area like somebody's trying to burgle him. I love the enthusiasm with which he defends. And I think that's that's part of, that's one of Real Madrid's secrets as well. The way that they're able to anticipate balls coming into their territory and snuff them out when they don't look remotely interested. Tony Kroos is, is the king of this. And yeah, I, 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 I found Real Madrid very impressive. 
Thibaut Courtois having to make a few saves still. But when called upon, even in a one-on-one at nil-nil against Aishi Kamada, he actually moved early. I spoke to Courtois after the game and he was saying that he he did that deliberately so that to try and force the striker into decision and it worked. So, yeah, comfortable for Real Madrid in the end. Frankfurt had their moments. But, yeah, you can see why Real uh, did the job that they did in the Champions League last season. Lucy, do you think this is the last year we'll see Casemiro, Cruz and Modric being brilliant? Or do you think I just need to cut and paste that question and ask it for the next 20 years? It, it, it's unbelievable, isn't it? I, probably not. I'll probably keep saying it, but, we, you know, we think it's going to end. But I just think that when, when you're as good as that and you, what, what happens with players, the penny drops and they understand the position. So therefore, the physical bit of it um, is not as quite as important as the brain. And I think that's where it's landed particularly with those three, definitely. Um, and their bench now, Jordan, is starting to look nice and strong behind that with like Kamavinga especially, who's such a wonderful talent. I noticed you avoided saying Shuameni there, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that as well. <laughs> I saw his name cross your lips and you were like, I've not had enough sleep for this. <laughs> I, I, I wanted some... I, you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you picked me up on it, Archie. It's written in front of me. And I just thought, I just, I'm tired. I just want someone else. To, I, I, want, I want someone else to do the hard work for I'll, me. I'll yes. respond by The two of those players. I'll respond by saying, yes, Max, the bench is very, very strong and the future's looking bright for Las Blancos. Um, I, was, I thought you, can you do a little bit? No, I can't. I'm going to make you work today, Max. Uh, fair enough. Uh, what did you make of the game, Barry? Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a pretty straightforward win for um, Real Madrid. Uh, Kevin Trapp probably should have done better for the Benzema goal. He got a good hand to it, couldn't keep it out. And that puts Benzema second in Real's all-time scorers list uh, with 324. Cristiano Ronaldo is... On 4.50. So, yeah, Max, you could do the arithmetic there in your befuddled state. He's got a bit of work to do. But do you think he's? Do you think now we've established... You know, he's now scored more than Raul for Real Madrid, right? He is now rated, isn't he? Well, you'd think so. I mean, Raul was no slouch. And I reckon Benzema would have scored a lot more or wouldn't have taken anywhere near as long to, to pass out Raul if he hadn't been doing all Cristiano Ronaldo's donkey work for him. You know, during the time Ronaldo was at the club, uh, he had to sacrifice a lot of goals and and seemed happy enough to do it. But you'd imagine he will probably win the Ballon d'Or now. But yeah, as a game, I wouldn't read too much into it. It was all right. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it, isn't it? it, It's worth saying, Archie, that for Eindhoven Frankfurt to even be there Mm -hmm. is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. And also, like two of their legends who played this, this game's only been played once before, right? Real Madrid, Eintracht Frankfurt, and the other one was the 1960 European Cup final. Rail seven, Frankfurt four, four goals for Pushkas, three for Di Stefano, and like two of the Frankfurt players from that game were in the stadium, which is great, isn't it? Yep, one of the Real Madrid ones as well, Jose Santa Maria, and the two Eintracht players, Dieter Stinker and Erwin Stein, uh, who scored two of Frankfurt's three goals in that final. And I was alerted to. A lovely story about Erwin Stein by by Sid. Um, he wrote a big piece on it when the 60th anniversary of that game passed a couple of years ago. And in there, it turns out that because Ferenc 
Pushkas scored four goals in that final and Di Stefano scored three. And Pushkas was like, well, I'm having the ball. And Erwin Stein came up to him and asked him after the game, he's like, no, but I want the ball. And he's like, what? It's like, yeah, I, I, I want the ball. Uh, and he was so persistent that Pushkas gave him the ball after the game just because he was like, I mean, look, sure, he's lost 7-3, but he scored twice, a fair play. So, yeah, no, it was a, it was, it was a lovely touch um, to, to have them there. On, on Frankfurt, without Kevin Trapp, they wouldn't have been anywhere near that final. Rangers fans don't need any reminding of that, given not just the Aaron Ramsey penalty save, but that save in the extra time of the Europa League final from Ryan Kent, which was the moment I think you knew that it was going to probably be Frankfurt's night. And worth highlighting with Frankfurt as well, uh, a big hole was left on the left-hand side yesterday because Philip Kostic uh, is, is off to Juventus, was announced before the game that he wouldn't travel with the team. And there were times where you could see the ghost of Philip Kostic going down that left-hand side. Just Christopher Lentz is not a bad player, but he doesn't have the extra yard of pace that Philip Kostic has, nor the wand of a left foot uh, in, in quite the same manner. So that is going to be a blow to them, particularly before playing in the Champions League. But yeah, no shame in Eintracht Frankfurt losing that game. Remember, just in 2016, they were in the relegation playoff. And sure, someone pointed out to me, yeah, but in 2019, they they were in the, the semi-finals of the Europa League against Chelsea. And the point is, is that the team, this team, no one expected to get anywhere near that status again. It was a big shock that they went on the run they did last season. So kudos to them. You mentioned Rangers there and, and Barry, uh, we were talking about how they, they lost 2-0 to the best feeder club in the world, who are no longer the best feeder club in the world. Well, they may well be the best feeder club in the world, the Belgian Brighton, but uh, they still weren't able to, to capitalise on their 2-0 first leg win and Rangers beat them 3-0 at Ibrox and uh, now have to play PSV Eindhoven for uh, a place in the group stages of the Champions League. Um, yeah, they were 2-0 down, James Tavernier penalty, uh, Antonio Kolak tap in and Malik Tillman uh, scored his first goal for Rangers after uh, a mistake by the USG goalkeeper so yeah just PSV Eindhoven well just PSV Eindhoven between them and the group you wanted to mention Shamrock Rovers as well oh yeah Shamrock Rovers the Irish club they're into the final qualifying round of the Europa League after beating FC Skopje from North Macedonia uh, over two legs, uh, so they have to play Carabag next to try and get into the Europa League group stages. But even if they lose, they are guaranteed a place in the Europa Conference League group stages, which is that's you know either is a, a massive deal for Shamrock Rovers. Good, and that is you've now reached the quota of amount you talked on the last podcast. <laughs> Everything else now is a is a, is a bonus. Um, Archie, you're here for just for part one, so let's do the Bundesliga. Um, Rob says after scoring eleven goals in two games, how much a uh, do Bayern not miss Lewandowski? Uh, it feels it feels ominous this season for Bayern right at the moment. Yeah, it, it feels like more of an ensemble act right now. Having having seen them on on Friday night in particular, they were so good. And the movement off the ball going forward, Frankfurt just couldn't keep a handle on them. And if it had been 8-2 at half time, 
it wouldn't have been undeserved. Such were the chances that that Bayern had in that first half. Standouts were Jamal Musiala, who at 19 was running the show, weaving through uh, the Frankfurt players at will. Sadio Mane is, is looking very sharp as well. It is ominous for the rest of the league. Worth considering, though, that uh, last season they tailed off in a big way and that has been a characteristic of Julian Nagelsmann teams at Hoffenheim, at RB Leipzig. Sure, they achieved big things, but they did seem to run out of gas at the end of the season. So he needed this, Julian Nagelsmann, because of the summer that he's had. Uh, namely that Bratzo, Hasan Salihamidzic, has delivered on the transfer front, getting in Matish Delicht, Sadio Mane, Daily Gravenberch from, from Ajax, Nusse Masrawi as well. And Bayern, having proclaimed that they didn't have money, uh, have, have now come up with quite a lot of it to sign all these players. And after the way they went out of the, the Champions League last season, it's been important for them to make a mark in transfers and rejuvenating the squad. But yeah, there's one other bit for Nagelsmann, which I think complicates the situation, which is that it was an, it, it came out in the summer in Germany's biggest tabloid build that he had split from his wife. Uh, and then a couple of weeks later, that same tabloid revealed that Nagelsmann was now going out with somebody, the one of the Bayern reporters from that tabloid, which I know caused some disquiet at the club. Uh, because they thought, well, hang on, what what is potentially going to be revealed here to to build within this? And it made, I think, it, it has definitely increased the pressure on Nagelsmann because, yeah, builds are are not seen as a a very cuddly newspaper in, in Germany, shall we say? So he he's under pressure, but so far these performances. That, that pressure is is slowly seeping away. Is that like Pep Guardiola going out with Isabel Oakshot? Is that... Is that, is that... <laughs> <laughs> um, not quite comparable. Okay. I'd say okay, if, 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 they, if, if, if it was going out with somebody from the sun, maybe. Um, tell us about Anthony Modeste and Ellen White, Archie. This is a great story. Yeah. So I was at Cologne against Schalke on Sunday. And suddenly, at halftime, down in the corner of the pitch, there's Ellen White. And I was like, okay, sure, why not? And then it clicked in my head. Ellen White got her glasses celebration, which works really well in a podcast, um, uh, from Anthony Modeste, because Modeste got it from the fact that it's his favourite emoji. And the whole idea of Ellen White coming over for the first game of the season was so that she could have a look around the club because she is a big Cologne fan herself as well. And so that she could meet Anthony Modeste. Problem is, is that as the team news was announced, it was also announced that Anthony Modeste was not in the squad for Cologne today. And that he, uh, uh, he, he was very close to a move to Borussia Dortmund. So... Ellen White didn't get to meet Anthony Modeste. And she was kind of standing there and, you know, she, she looked happy to be there. But at the same time, you could kind of tell that she was like, I can't believe this. Like, I come all this way. And the main guy I've come to see, yeah, he's not here. Great. So, yeah. Before you go, Archie, Fulham were very good. We'd written them off. We'd relegated Fulham at the weekend. And then suddenly they were really brilliant. Did you see that coming? No. 
<laughs> Thank you very much. I did. I didn't, mate. Uh, look, the signings that have been made in the summer, I, I, I'm always wary of saying they're going to be great. Let's let you know. But after what happened in 2018, where we got burnt so badly with getting very excited about all these signings that were coming in, Jean Michel Seri, uh, Franks, uh, Andre Franks, Ambo Anguissa. And and the way it didn't click, it it's placed something at the back of my mind in terms of just wanting to be cautious. I still think little short in some areas of the squad, but now I think that we can compete. And by compete, I mean I think we could survive. And I was surprised by that performance, particularly having seen some of the things in preseason. We got absolutely hammered by Benfica so comprehensively, and I was worried for how somebody like Tim Ream might fare. But Tim Ream was great. On, on Saturday and particularly just because of what he's like, you know, what he's, the values that he stands for on, on his social media and all the things he says and what kind of a captain he is. That pleased me so great, um, so, so greatly because he's been a really great captain for the club and somebody who has had setbacks, was told under Slavisi Jakanovic that he wasn't needed, stayed and came back strongly. And to be honest, Max, I wrote him off before this game, I thought. It, it's going to be a stretch too far playing against Mo Salah and Darwin Nunez. And he he rose to the challenge. Archie, thanks so much, mate. Um, have a safe trip back from Helsinki. I'm going to Europa League qualifier tonight, mate. HJK Helsinki oh, right. against Maribor. Huge game in the stadium next door. But, uh, Some yeah. people love football so much. It's sort of wild, <laughs> isn't it? Um, uh, cheers, cheers Archie. Appreciate your time. Cheers. Uh, and that'll do for part one. We'll look at the Premier League in just a second. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Before we uh, look ahead to the games, I wanted to talk about the Premier League introducing man mandatory sexual consent training for all players and staff. Um, the training will include content on recognising sexual harassment and bullying, relationships and obtaining consent. The training has been introduced in light of police action against several top flight footballers in recent seasons. We're not going to mention specific players cases here at all. It makes things very tricky legally. We want to do a special on this soon and dedicate a lot of time to it. But Lucy, I'm, I'm really interested to know if this kind of training is something that you did at Leeds, what protocols were in place and how much it was a sort of decision club to club. Yeah, so I think that the consent training is for all players. Now the academies uh, do all this, they've done all this for, for years. And I think what, what you find is there's a lot of really, really good work done in academies because obviously with like the Barry Bennell case and, and uh, you know some of the historical sexual abuse academies have to be really really on it in terms of duty of care and they always have been as, as long as I've worked in academies since sort of like um the early 2000s you always are looking at the player at the center of it and um how you can support the players from sort of age five six all the way through to 21 the problem that you then got is when they move into a first team dressing room and I think that is what this this um new training is is trying to a sort of uh, address but you know they do everything they have a the Premier League provide funding for a player care person in every single one of the clubs in the football league uh, the LFE which is league football education provide life skills and player care sessions for all players right from league two all the way up to the big clubs in the championship so the players are covered with everything so I'm talking about 
social media training, safe driving, um, cooking, you know, finance, all the skills that you would expect a young person to have. Um, but obviously the, the, the clubs uh, supply that. And one of the sessions is is a respect and healthy and respectful uh, personal relationships, consent, knowing the law and consent. So the, the, the kids have all this. And like I say, that because of the culture of some first team dressing rooms, that's where the issue, because the kids have to, you can, like I, I, do, I worked with the kids at the, under my care for years and years. And I thought that I, my job was to produce open-minded individuals um, and then let them out into the world, whether that be we released them and they went out to university or wherever they went, or they went into a first team dressing room. Now, in a first team dressing room, is it, it's a completely different animal to being. So you're a kid in a first team dressing room and you fit in, right? You don't want to stand out. And that is where the problem uh, occurs with, with some of the behaviour of first team players. And I think that's what I found all the way along. You know, you can teach them all you want to teach them, the lads, about what's respect and what isn't. But then they get into a situation where they're in a group where you know some of the players might not have those sort of attitudes and that sort of respect for different uh, types of people and 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 it's difficult for young young players uh, lucy you might not know the answer to this question and you kind of actually in a way there but your answer at the end there kind of touched on my question here but do you know if if this has been roundly uh, kind of welcomed by these young men or has there been a kind of pushback of well i know what consent is i know how to treat a woman i don't need this sort of training you tend to find that um, that they're quite open. The majority are quite open to it, particularly sort of under 21 players. Um, it's important because that there's all sorts of things. You know, if you send a, a, a naked picture of yourself or your body part to somebody who's underage and you're underage, you can get done for it. There's all sorts of, of law within it. So that's the sort of thing that we try to sort of put across to, to, to young people. It's an social media is an absolute minefield, and you find that girls like to attach themselves to young footballers who uh, they may or may not think will become rich and famous, and then if they, you know, dump them or you know they they become ex-girlfriends, then um, you know certain things happen that that these they're put in a position. So it's it's about educating um, young players to to ensure that they make good decisions. But yeah, in answer to your question, John, that they are open to it because it's so, they rec even they recognise it, it's, it's so important. And it's so male, right? It's, it is so male. There's no female role models, almost none. Yeah, that is key. And at Leeds, we had a lot of females around our young players. So there was me, one of the physios, the, the head of strength and conditioning. So we used to turn up to games and other coaches of under-18 teams were like, ooh, look at all your blondes. And our lads would literally go, oh, yeah, you mean say, uh, strength and conditioning? They, they didn't see it as that. And I suppose that that's the yeah. sort of uh, environment that, that young men should grow up in because it's so competitive. They're competitive about absolutely everything, what they wear, their girlfriends, what they look like. Everything is competitive. So there has to be that softer side with it within a club. And, and a lot of clubs get it right, but they, but – you know, the, the, the leagues, the Premier League and the Football League work really hard and put a lot of money into making sure that these players are, are educated. Look, as I said, it's something we'll come back to uh, and do in more detail because uh, we think we need to talk about it more. Um, let's look at the uh, weekend's Premier League fixtures. Uh, Chelsea Spurs jumps off the page, Barry. Yes, yes, it does. Um, and it's a hard one to call. Uh, Chelsea beat Tottenham 
on four different occasions out of four games last season. What, how much you can read into that, I don't know. My only other note on the game is that Richarlison is available for Tottenham after a suspension. We'll probably start on the bench, you'd imagine. But it's a coin toss for me. I think I'd probably veer towards Tottenham at the moment, but they were pretty impressive against um, Southampton. But Southampton didn't offer much, and Chelsea, I would expect to offer a lot more. And Chelsea always beat. Tottenham. They won't have Timo Werner, um, Jordan, who's gone to RB Leipzig to score those buckets of goals that I promised he would score. He did leave a a really nice farewell note in a a sort of typewriter style. I think he borrowed Jessica Fletcher's (laughs) typewriter from the opening credits of Murder, She Wrote. I felt so much love and support throughout the last two years. I will never forget how you guys stood behind me in good and in challenging times. A slight nod to just all those all those Bad. misses being offside all the time. Um, will Chelsea get a striker, Jordan? I mean, is Havertz going to be the, the guy? No, I'm a Havertz fan, actually, but I, I think they'll get Aubameyang. They've been linked to him in the last 48 hours. I, I think that deal will get done quite late on. Is that a good idea? I, no, I don't think it is, because I don't think he is the sort of forward that would work in a two-call system. I know he's played for two-call before, but I think in this Chelsea system, I don't think he's the sort of striker that would um, that would enable the whole team to, to, to flourish. It could be a, a Ronaldo-United situation whereby he gets his goals, but to the detriment of the rest of the team. So um, I think they will get a striker, and I think, it, I think it will be him. I think Tottenham win this game as well. I agree with Barry. I think Spurs win this game. I, I've got Spurs in my prediction, pre, pre-season predicted table, finishing second. I've got, I've got, I've got on bold and I hate saying that as an Arsenal fan but I, I think Spurs are going to start the season really well Chelsea don't seem settled Tottenham do um, yeah and it wouldn't be a surprise to me if Spurs got three points on the weekend Colin says when will Manchester United next win a game um, Lucy they go to Brentford this weekend yeah I mean Manchester United it, you, you, it never fails to amaze me how um, that people think that football is run properly by business people and it and it and it isn't you know i've worked in a in a dysfunctional club that has been dysfunctional at times and you know the the amount of chances that that are involved around owners is absolutely unbelievable and you know you you only need to get one one club who has somebody with a bit of business now who runs it properly and they become like a I don't, a guru, Brighton is is a, is a good example. Brentford, another good example. All Brentford do is is do thorough research, and they are strategy driven, and they they recruit based off data and scout eyes, and they do it well. And how how on earth do Manchester United not pick up any of the nuggets that some of the other um, clubs are picking up? And I, I feel a bit sorry for Ten Hag because you know he's on the first step of a what's supposedly a long journey and all of a sudden he's lost and he doesn't have the players to play that the way he wants to and uh, you know he's he's all of a sudden under pressure although I don't think it's him that's under pressure I think it's more the owners I, I, I mean I'm interested to know at what point do we start looking at Manchester United through a different prism and not you know the world's imploding when United draw away at Brentford. I think we have to accept now this is a different Manchester United that are an absolute. They're, they're not the United of 15 years ago. So it just kind of still annoys me when people kind of get overly surprised when United draw a game away that they they maybe would have won 15 years ago. This is a not very good team. Man United are going to lose a lot of games this season, but the world doesn't have to stop. We don't have to do three-hour phone-ins on Man United. <laughs> yeah, but you future? do. That's the point. You oh. do because they're the biggest 
biggest club in the world. I, I, but I suppose it's an interesting point is, do you think a room full of 22-year-olds see it differently because, you know, they weren't born when Man United won the treble? Like, do you think it is, you know, because history, you know, recent history becomes history quite quickly. Do you think it is different? I think they react in, in a very, very wild and crazy and aggressive way because right. the media does that. I just think we need to understand now, Man United drawing away at Brentford, Man United are a bigger and a better club than Brentford, yes. But that's if they draw, that's not a shock. <laughs> They're not very good. And, and I don't have sympathy for Ten Hag at all because he knew what he was getting into. He wanted an out of it. It just wasn't the Glazers. I, I, I heard Gary Neville banging on about the Glazers, Glazers, Glazers. At what point does Ten Hag have to get a little bit of heat because decisions that he's making? He wanted an out of it. He wants Rabiot. So I, I, I'm not completely giving Ten Hag a complete pass in terms of what's happening. I know it's only one game, but I just see a lot of narratives around Manchester United that one... It, it, the, the, this whole shock factor whenever they lose a game that annoys me. And second of all, that Ten Hag is some kind of, he's completely innocent in all of this. I, I, I don't think he totally is. He's making decisions that are weird that he has to stand by. A little bit um, non-league that you get a, a, a manager in and just wants to buy the players that he knows from the last club that he was at. Now, how on earth has that been allowed to happen? I just get Dutch players and even sometimes doesn't even get the, the best players from the Dutch team that he's been at. And that's why I don't understand. How is the nobody above him have presenting players based on great data where we're talking about uh, all, all scouts have been watching for, for a number of years and go, well, what about this one? And that's why I, I, I can't get my head around. But they, they, they might have. They, they might have presented to him, here, Ten Hag, these are some players that our recruitment team have found a thought would be good for United. And he may have gone, nah, they're not for me. I want these players. But And that's fine. He should have that autonomy to some degree. But then he has to be held accountable for the people that he is saying he wants. So the Anatovich thing was, was portrayed as United are a disgrace and why are they going for this old man? It was like, no, 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 he wanted him. He wasn't forced upon Ten Hag. Anatovich was was desired by Ten Hag. So it, it feels, Jordan, like for a club you don't want to spend a lot of time talking about, you really want to... <laughs> <laughs> my, my main takeout from that Jordan rant is that he thinks United will get a point at Brentford at the weekend. <laughs> I don't agree with him. <laughs> I, I um, They've pulled out of signing Arnoldovich, haven't they? Because um, of a combination of Bologna's growing transfer fee demands, the negative reaction. Rabiot is not done yet. Is Rabiot done yet? No. I don't think it is. So, but Simon says, can you recommend any other old disruptive players to help make Man United that little bit funnier? Let's get Samir Nasri in. Why not? It is. I mean, it's the gift that keeps on giving, Barry, isn't it? Because you're sitting there going, the crisis is that game at Brighton. And then suddenly Chelsea are in for De Jong and you're like, Fuck, it's not fair if he goes and he doesn't go to Man United. It sort of feels wrong. Yeah. I, I mean, my idea of United's recruitment policy is that someone just throwing darts at a wall covered in panini stickers somewhere in Old Trafford. They're a mess recruitment-wise. That There's so many different problems there. I, I think Brentford will beat them at the weekend because I saw last weekend at Brighton, one of their, the tactics employed by Graham Potter was to, to play the ball long, which is, is not something they do very often. Play it long to Danny Welbeck, who was able to bully Lissandro Martinez. And I reckon Thomas Frankel have seen that and go, well, well, 
I've got a, a Danny Welbeck and Ivan Tony who can bully Lissandro Martinez. So maybe we'll, we'll punt along as well now and then just to, to keep him on his toes. I mean, that wasn't only the approach, the only approach adopted by um, Graham Potter, but uh, it, it was one of several tactics that sort of helped Brighton bamboozle United, particularly in that first half. Uh, Brentford have agreed a deal to sign um, Mikael Damsgaard from Sampdoria. The Danish sort of sort of a bit like Christian Eriksen player uh, and sort of sensible signing for Brentford. Uh, let's go to uh, Villa Everton. Mark says, can Gerard and Lampard sit on the same touchline? <laughs> have they ever managed to get? They, have they ever managed against each other? Maybe they haven't. Maybe this is the first time that they've uh, been together in the dugouts. Uh, Ryan says, Gerard out if Villa lose again this weekend. Aimed at Jordan Jarrett Bryan, of course. Someone else tweeted. And I, I've lost uh, the name. Does you know? Does Jordan think Villa regret sacking Dean Smith? Um, what are your thoughts, Jordan? Well, we did the live show, didn't we, in Birmingham? And everybody knows my thoughts on on Villa and their 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 fans. But even their fans were siding with me after we went to the pub next door to say that they're not convinced about Steven Gerrard either. They're they're not completely. Um, sold on him being the guy. I think Gerard talks very well. I think he's very liked in the media. He's obviously won a lot of lot of trophies with a very very popular media friendly team in Liverpool. You really don't like the media, do you, Jordan? For someone in the media, <laughs> in the media, I just think anyway. I'll leave my Liverpool thoughts to one side. I don't want to start on those guys. But I, I think Villa, in terms of sacking Dean Smith, we know my thoughts on Dean Smith and Villa. But Stephen Gerrard, I'm just not sold on the idea that he's the guy yet to bring the glory years back to, to Villa Park and where I think the Villa fans think they should be. I'm, I'm yet, I'm not convinced on Frank Lampard either, but I think that he's got a lot of work to do. He's been backed, let's let's be very clear. Stephen Gerrard's been backed with a lot of money to get them back into European contention. Um, and I need to see more than just, you know, rousing team talks and slick press conferences. I need to see some tactical acumen, if you like, before I'm really a believer that he's the guy for Villa. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. And it's interesting, Lucy, isn't it, with these two players and the history of Gerard and Lampard and the pressure that they're both under and the fact that they're, you know, being a manager is different to being a player and neither of them are proven. Yeah, look, Gerard did wonderfully well at Rangers. It is worth pointing that out. Yeah, it, it always, I mean, there is all that old argument about do you need to have played to become a good manager? I think that in in crisis times within games i think it helps because you've been there and you can you can help players and and make decisions but what i would say is that the experience that both of these players uh, had i mean the the managers had as players was all positive mostly positive which and i think to be a really good manager and coach you need to have had experience of everything so good bad indifferent just so that you can give that experience over to to the players and i think that's what Lampard got at the end of last season. You know, he realised what it's the pressure. The, you know, the, there is pressure at the top of the league, but it's nothing like the pressure at the bottom when you think that you're going to get a team like Everton uh, relegated. So I think I think the thing about them, the, they've both got good assistants, experienced assistants, which should help them. Um, but I just get this nagging little feeling in my head that people cannot, when I say people, cannot wait to see them fail. And I, I think that's a little bit disappointing. Uh, Man City played Bournemouth, Barry. Um, will Erling Haaland score <laughs> 20 goals, 10 goals, 5 goals, 2 goals? What, what number are you putting on it? I think he'll score. I have no idea how many. I I fear for Bournemouth. You know, away at City, I I wonder do 
if you're at a, a team that is almost certainly going to struggle, do you look forward to fixtures like that or do you dread them as a player? You know, it's it's <laughs> this is the elite level you want to play at, but when you see Erling Haaland thundering towards you at, you know, 96 kilometres an hour <laughs> with the ball at his feet, you probably your life flashes before your eyes. Good luck to Bournemouth. <laughs> I fear for them. Um, Bernardo Silva to Barcelona as a rumour is odd, Jordan, isn't it? I, it sort of feels City shouldn't let any more players go. It's really odd. I'm a really big fan of Bernardo Silva. And I just think if I was a City fan, I'd be slightly concerned. Um, I think I, I read this morning, I did read this morning, that he had 21 goal involvements last season. Um, you think after letting Sterling and Jesus go... To let him go as well feels really, really dangerous. And I remember I went to, as you know, the Manchester City played Sporting Lisbon in the Champions League last season. And I was excited to see Kevin De Bruyne. He's my favourite player in the Premier League. But I'm not going to lie, the player I left the game most impressed by was Bernardo Silva. Um, He's amazing. And I just think to let that many goals go because he's saying, or the reports are that he wants to leave, I think is very, very dangerous. And could they not come to an agreement whereby give us one more year and we'll let you go next season for a reasonable fee? Um, and to rely, to rely on Jack Grealish, Foden and Mares, and, and I know they've got the, the new guy Alvarez in, just feels like they could be leaving themselves a little bit short if they were to let him go. Um, uh, one more for you, Jordan. Arsenal, uh, they won in a game that I really didn't <laughs> think they would. Um, obviously, I don't know if you're watching Arteta on his documentary I am um, but are you are you full of optimism and positivity did you did you basically think on Saturday morning that Arsenal had won the league <laughs> no many Arsenal fans did and I heard Barry on the pod before last talking about many insufferable Arsenal fans who um, he has any social circles and I've got many of those in my circles as well so I can relate to what it's like but I, I think Arsenal fans are rightly excited it was a good pre-season it was a good transfer window and it's the sort of game that I think many people thought they would lose and they won it I think Palace you can argue to serve the point, but one of my big things for Arsenal this year is to win games where they're not maybe the better team um, and get those points. So it was a good, good win, clean sheet, and I'm confident they'll follow it up with a, with a win against Leicester on the weekend. Tim says, haven't Newcastle United ever heard of a colour wheel? If your black and white, dark blue and white kits all clash with Brighton's home kit, do you really need a fourth kit that's also blue? How about you pick from the opposite side of the wheel to the colour you're avoiding? He sent a picture of a colour wheel and they could have gone over to the sort of red side, Barry, to pick a fourth kit that would not clash with Brighton. Yeah, they, they've had to issue a, a special one-off shirt for this game, which is quite a nice one, actually. It's got the Newcastle skyline along the the bottom because their, their home kit is too stripily similar to Brighton's. Their away kit is too blue and their... Saudi Arabia tribute kit is too white. So uh, first away game of the season and, and they've had to call up a fourth shirt, which also doesn't look <laughs> like it's going to be ideal for the, the colours Brighton. Wear. I saw some people saying, why can't Brighton wear an away shirt? Because they did last season on one occasion at home. But uh, Premier League rules stipulate if you're at home, you wear your home shirt and you get a pass once a season. I think if you want to wear a special tribute or commemorative shirt or whatever and last season Brighton wore their away kit of blue and yellow at home in support of Ukraine they had to get special permission for that but this game is uh so I'd say it's the one that leapt off the page for me actually this week looking at the fixtures just because it's two of England's 
probably brightest managers. I expect one of them to take over from Gareth Southgate, Graham Potter or Eddie Howe. And uh, managing two of England's upwardly mobile clubs who will both be hoping to to get into Europe at the end of the season. So I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, Lucy, have you heard of Leeds United losing all their shirts because they fell off a ship? Uh, <laughs> was it? They just fell off a boat. Is this is this ten years ago? Oh, sorry, that's 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 something that would, I know it isn't, but that that was be something that happened about five or six years ago at least. So I have to say, yeah, shipping containers <laughs> oh, on a boat them. being used to bring them in from Southeast Asia plunged into the sea. So that's where all the lead shirts are. I think the team have enough shirts; they just can't sell their replica ones. So I, I like the idea of all these dead pirates in Davy Jones's locker walking around in Leeds replica shirts. The fans of Leeds are always complaining that there's not enough shirts in the shop, so this is just going to add insult to injury this season. All that's going through my head is, you know, Geldar, if you could that is if you say that like a pirate, it's quite piratey, isn't it, Geldar? Um, but, you know, that's the only thing that's in my head currently. Maybe we'll end part two uh, right there and we'll do part three, beginning with uh, FIFA's decision to just change the dates of the World Cup as and when they see fit. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Ian says, when would you like the World Cup to start? As if anybody can choose. Uh, it's going to kick off a day earlier than scheduled. If FIFA's ruling bureau, I'm trying to run a high-class bureau to FIFA, agree to plan to hold the opening ceremony and the host nation's first match on Sunday the 20th of November. The original plan was for the opening ceremony to be held before Qatar's game on the 21st against Ecuador, uh, which created the unusual situation of two matches being held before the opening ceremony. Um, the Group A match between Senegal and Netherlands, Group B match between England and Iran was scheduled to take place before the ceremony on Monday. The new proposed schedule for days one and two has Qatar-Ecuador playing on the 20th at seven o'clock. Why is no one thinking of the podcasters? We'll have to record at midnight. Also, Barry, why is no one thinking of the Ecuador fans? I mean, it's, just, it's just, you cannot, you can't just change the date of a major tournament. I mean, well, clearly you can. You can. I actually think it's a good idea that's being implemented way, way, way too late. Qatar, you know, we all have issues with it, the World Cup being in Qatar, but that's where it's being held, so Qatar should open it. I think nobody's. I think people are thinking of the Ecuador fans, and with the greatest respect to Ecuador, I think the feeling probably is, ah, it's just Ecuador. If it was Germany or England or somebody else, they... <laughs> they might not countenance the idea of the change. Uh, so, yeah, I, look, it's <laughs> this was already supposed to be a summer World Cup. It's been moved to winter, and now they're moving the start date. So it's <laughs> that's just making it up as they go along. Uh, Matthew says, how many attempts would it take for Barry Glendening to score that? It's minus our goal uh, from Monday night. Um 
that was so it was just so beautiful that goal wasn't it Lucy like the first touch was brilliant the second and the finish is ridiculous yeah the, the first touch for me was the, the best bit about it but um, obviously I had a look up and I mean I, I, I had read reports that, that, that Leeds were after him actually that that, uh, that he could be bought by Leeds but that's a they've obviously seen that goal and thought we have some of that um, yeah he I, there's something about Watford the, the forward line that tells me that when they want to turn it on then they do and you know it's just about making sure that you motivate them enough for, for that to happen but that just shows just a it's just beautiful quality. Um, courtesy of um, Adam Hurry, uh, who saw this from Flash Score on their minute by minute. David Button is stranded way out of his goal after his team loses possession. And it's Myla Saar, Watford, has the simplest of tasks to shoot the ball into an empty net from distance. It's now, it's now zero, nil one. That's absolutely tremendous, isn't it? Tony Yaboa spots a slight gap. <laughs> in the top corner of Liverpool's goal and volleys it in <laughs> off the bar. Diego Maradona <laughs> sees an, o- an opening in the English defence, wanders through and it's 2-0 to Argentina. Completely ridiculous. Um, at the Carabao Cup, 14 of the 15 championship sides who played against lower league sides went out. What, what, does, what does that mean, Barry? Well, it means they're not taking it seriously because most of them played... Uh, you know, really under strength teams made loads of changes. The the Sunderland team that lost against Sheffield Wednesday, I didn't recognise half the names in the lineup, and yeah, it's it's they clearly don't they're not interested in in the Carabao Cup. I think a lot of Championship teams have seen that. Look, Luton got to the playoffs last season on the second lowest budget in the league. If Luton can get to the playoffs. Anyone can, and and they're all going to focus on the league. And speaking of Luton, they lost 3-2 against Newport, and Nathan Jones said afterwards, you've seen one of the worst performances ever at the football club. I'm embarrassed, not by the team. I'm embarrassed by a certain individual who has possi- who has had possibly one of the worst games I've seen in my life. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Did he name them? No, he didn't name them. And I read several reports in the hope of finding out who this individual might be. But I I couldn't get a vibe off any. I think I read four different reports, didn't get a vibe of who had this catastrophe of a game. But I did look to see um, who who he hooked, if that might reveal any clues. So he, he made a triple substitution and... Uh, Henry Lansbury and Cameron Jerome were two of the three. I can't remember who the third was. It wasn't a name I was familiar with. So I'm I'm going to point my big finger of suspicion at Henry Lansbury. And uh, apologies, Henry, if I'm doing you know, injustice. If any Luton fans who were at the game uh, could let us know who, who had this mother of all shockers, I, I just to satisfy my curiosity, I'd like to know. How nice on the same pod to mention murder, she wrote... And Lansbury. That is really <laughs> nice, isn't it? Lucy, you wanted to come in. Yeah, I, I, just to, and, and add to that, that, that I think uh, one of the t- topics for the pod in the future is going to be the, the five substitutes because in the Euros, um, my sheet of paper when I was doing co-coms with, all, with the, the teams on there just looked an absolute mess by the end. If they've made, both teams make five substitutions, it's an absolute nightmare. But that will come you know, when we get more, more match days. But the point I was going to make about... 
the League Cup being so early in the season. My experience of working closely with championship managers, if the team started well, then they don't want to put that same team out because they're doing well. They don't want anybody injured. If the team hasn't started well, um, then they don't want to put the team, their first team out just in case. Um, uh, well, they want to, they want to respond to the next league game. So regardless, they don't, like you say, Barry, it's not, not necessarily not taking it seriously. It's the fact that it just is a pain in the ass to them. It really is. So they don't take it seriously, I, so I guess. Don't they? Um, the end of the classified football results on the BBC Radio 5 Live decided not to uh, have the classifieds this season. So uh, Charlotte Green, who'd taken over from James Alexander-Gordon, uh, won't deliver them. Uh, this has this has seen Jordan as the end of the world, isn't it? Um, despite Jim Watson, the media editor at The Guardian, saying five people tweeted about Radio 5 Live dropping the classified football results on the day that they dropped the classified football results. Obviously, now it's a media outcry story and ferrets are probably already being put into the backward position somewhere in Salford. Um, will you? I mean, it, it is evocative. It is nostalgic. But like we were talking about how 22-year-olds view Manchester United. You wonder how many 22-year-olds find out the score from the classifieds at five o'clock. Well, I was just going to say, are we... And they're obviously about... all listening to talk sport at the same time, we should all say. <laughs> yeah, we should all say, blimey, all of us, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, are we as a podcast perpetuating, you know, this, this, this faux outrage there is behind five people that are not happy about it? I mean, I'm cool. Mix it up a little bit, change it up. I'd rotate it, you know, among, amongst different people. It's not a big deal for me. Young people, I, as you mentioned, I, I very much doubt get their information this way on the results anyway. So it, it felt like a bit of a, of, of a meh for me. Yeah, Henry Winter's been quite vocal on this. I mean, he does say, you know, visually impaired people don't necessarily, obviously they, uh, you know, blind people can use phones and they, you know, they can get scores through Braille and stuff or, you know, phones that, use, that they use for that. And people leaving games can't be on their phone when they're driving. That is... They shouldn't be on their phones when they're driving. So I do understand kind of why. But at the same time, I liked listening to it, but I never listened to it. Like, you want to know your team, the Premier League, your team, how the teams around you doing near the end of the season. I don't need to hear the League Two results read out now. I just don't need to look at them until about April. And I work in football, so you know, I don't, I don't understand why anybody necessarily needs them. Um, credit to Adam Murray of uh, Football Cliches again, who did tweet, of course, if the results really were classified, nobody should have been reading them out at all. <laughs> so I thought it was a very good line. Tony Adams is on Strictly, everybody. We got to that stage of the pod. Uh, Mark Pugach tweeting, if he doesn't do staying alive, one hand in the air, calling for offside, I will stop paying my license fee. Which is a lovely line. Um, Peter says, in light of Barry announcing he's hosting a pub quiz next month, which TV quiz show do you think he'd be best presenting? Barry, I'll throw it to you. What quiz show do you reckon you'd be uh, good at? I don't really watch. Pointless. Yeah, I don't really watch many TV (laughs) quiz shows, apart from Pointless occasionally and House of Games occasionally. I did used to, uh, as a student, uh, religiously watch blockbusters i think or as a schoolboy and a student ah, so I'd, I'd probably go or, or maybe mastermind um and i think i'd be quite good at sneering at people on university challenge when they give stupid answers to questions i wouldn't know the answer <laughs> to either unless i had it written in front of me on a card 
Mark says on the subject of ringers that we were talking about in the previous pod, we once turned up with only 10 players. There's some guys playing on the pitch before us, so we asked one of them to play for us. Five minutes in, and he got into a fight, and both players were sent off, uh, meaning we were 10 versus 10 rather than 10 versus 11. So it was sort of clever, even though unexpected. We still lost, he says. And Dave says, did anybody else's Europod end abruptly? Mine ended suddenly with Barry Glendening talking about a cello. I thought it was my phone. I hit play again and it defaulted to the last episode. I must have cut marginally short, which was Max talking about a man listening to the pod while having a vasectomy. Um, (laughs) I can't believe you stopped that story uh, short. Uh, I don't think so, Dave, unless you're the only person that listens to Football Weekly, in which case, Dave, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Barry, you wanted to talk about uh, Lucy on BT Score. She's getting lots of gigs at the moment. You wanted to talk about her on BT Score. Lucy's on BT Score. New new addition to the panel. She's there with Chris Sutton. And who else was there, Lucy? Uh, Robbie Savage yeah. and Steve yeah. Sidwell. Yeah, all the great. Julian Laurent. And um, Daryl Curry is doing the introductions along with Jules Breach. And they're having their, you know, pre- and early first couple of minutes of the match banter, and there, there's an early goal at Bournemouth versus Aston Villa. Who who's looking at that game? It's our Lucy, and uh, our urbane Scottish <laughs> presenter throws to her. This is her moment. There's a, an audience watching, waiting with bated breath to see what's happened, and uh, it's the moment she's been waiting for. So what does she say? What are is her opening contribution? I don't know who scored. <laughs> I just thought, oh, she's the new Chris Kamara. <laughs> it's because you, it's really difficult to concentrate on your, your game when everybody else is talking. And then they were saying in my ear who'd scored. And I actually said it. They were still like, Paden scored! Paden scored! Right, okay, Paden scored. Yeah, that, that was my big moment and I failed miserably. <laughs> you should have you should have just gone stop yelling Daniel Pedence in my ear please could somebody just shop uh, shouting Pedence well I, you're, I'm pleased you getting lots of gigs Lucy you soon you won't you won't you won't sully yourself with us so it's nice you're still doing it um, and that'll do for today's podcast thank you Lucy thank you thanks Jordan cheers mate get some rest thank you Barry cheers Max uh, Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove our executive producer is Christian Bennett we'll be back on Monday This is The Guardian.